are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Depression Session. This week, we have Sassy visiting with us, and she's going to tell us the story of her depression. She's a writer and artist and mover and interesting and lovely person, and I'm really excited to have her on the show. I'm also excited to have you all joining us. Today, I want to talk about shame, and I've been thinking this past week about the fact that I'm ashamed that I am depressed, that... It's something that I don't like to admit to myself, nonetheless, to other people. That I am ashamed that I can't just get past it. Like, it's been years now, and I should be better, and I know what to do. I have all these tools in my toolkit, you know, to fix depression. You go outside, you get exercise, you see your friends, you go for a run, you do things you enjoy, you connect with family and friends, you talk to your neighbors, And those are the things that, you know, make me feel happy. And I don't want to do those things. I don't even know how I used to want to do that. It's not that I don't want to do them. I actually yearn to do them. And equal amounts also just want to stay home and get in bed and read or play Spider Solitaire or watch episodes of CSI. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to see anybody. Meanwhile, I yearn for fresh air and friends and connection and fun. It's a, it, at one point in my depression, I think it was more wanting to what I call hibernate, like get in bed and just kind of stay there. And now they're kind of dead even. In equal amounts, I yearn to do all the things I know are good for me. And in equal amounts, I want to stay home. And I don't know, it almost feels like licking my wounds. And yet there's nothing wrong with my life. There's nothing to get over right now. There's, you know, things are going along swimmingly. So I feel stupid that I'm still depressed. I feel ashamed of it. Brene Brown has this wonderful talk, TED talk about um, connection and shame and that we all feel shame. Like it's a totally natural human emotion. Everybody feels it except for sociopaths, which I hope none of you are. And I guess I'm not because I have shame over this. I feel like enough is enough. Just, you know, pick yourself up and get on with it. And yet I don't feel that way. And so last week when Dan Horner was on the show, he was talking about depression isn't like an illness. It isn't, you know, something you get. It isn't something that happens to you. It's part of you. And when I think of it that way, I think of it as like, there's part of me that I admire. There's part of me that I love and accept. And that part of me is a world traveling, you know, fun, exciting person who walks across the country and, you know, does crazy projects. And that part of me, I admire. I'm an artist. I'm social. I'm fun. I love to dance. I love to go out. I love that part of me. I enjoy that part of me and I respect that part of me. The part of me that wants to stay home and not call back my friends and not go dancing and not go out, I don't even like, nonetheless, respect. 
nonetheless care for. And that if that is part of who I am, and I think it is, I am equally the person who spent a year crying every day after a big breakup and graduating from grad school. That is an equal part of me as much as the part of me that's fun and likes to go places and do things and is adventurous and brave. My ego is just all wrapped up in the part of me that I admire and pretty much shuns the part of me that I don't admire. So I've been thinking about giving depression a chance, (laughs) you know, like treating the part of me that wants to hibernate and wants to curl up. And I almost feel like, like wants to lick, lick my wounds. That part of me is just as important and as lovable and as a part of me as the part of me that I'm proud of. And at the very least, learn to accept it and hopefully learn to respect it. I'd like to respect that part of me as much as I respect the part of me that's adventurous and that's fun. I don't want to learn to like it in a way of like, oh, I'm totally cool with never going anywhere and never seeing anybody. That doesn't sound healthy. But I do want to accept the part of me that is like that. You know, give it a little space. Stop fighting it. Stop judging it. Because if you judge the part of you that's depressed, and I think we all do, then you're judging yourself too. And I was talking to my friend, she was driving up to Flagstaff and having a heart-to-heart. You know, we both had losses about the same time. She lost her mom and I lost my dad. And we've both gone through, you know, struggle since then. It's, you know, been four years. And she's dealt with it completely differently than I have. And actually was saying, I, I don't think I consider that even depression, And the more I have people come over and tell me the story of their depression, we had another practice round here, and it was really awesome. And the more I hear the stories, the more each story is completely unique and doesn't really sound like my depression. And in equal parts, it feels completely familiar. And like, yeah, I know that feeling. So it's a strange mix. I think you can feel both happy and invigorated and feel like you are kind of have the wind knocked out of you. It's weird. I feel like you can feel both of those things at the same time. I feel like our culture doesn't really accept the part of you that isn't happy. I feel like it's not acceptable if you're not upbeat and you're not fixing it. I mean, for God's sake, take a pill and get over it. But I feel that I want to give some space and some respect to the part of me that, you know, maybe it's a deep part of me. Maybe it's a beautiful part of me. Not in an unhealthy way, not in a, like, I'm going to accept, like I said, just staying in bed for the rest of my life. But that there are things to be learned from it. There are beautiful things in there, too. Today we have Ceci with us, and she is a creative person who pursues all sorts of interesting things, including writing poetry, writing in general, dance, movement. We're really glad to have you on the show. Ceci, tell us the story of your depression. During one of the supposedly happiest times of a woman's life, I found myself slipping into one of the worst. I was 29, single, living with my grandmother, and had a crappy boyfriend. And I found myself pregnant. 
I had already sought some counseling to work on my self-esteem, but as the pregnancy wore on, I found myself more and more depressed. Then in December of 1990, at six months along, the doctors told me I could no longer work as a waitress because it was causing problems for the baby. So now I was approaching 30, I was pregnant, alone, jobless, and no way to support myself. Then at Christmas, my grandmother decided to go to Colorado to visit the rest of my family who didn't even send me a Christmas card that year. I'd been maintaining my therapy appointments even as I began sleeping all the time. And with what little money I had left, I remember buying myself a huge bag of the Christmas colored you know, M&Ms and a gallon of milk. And it lasted me for a long time even though that's all I was eating at the time. And simple things that used to bring me joy at the time no longer did. And I remember seeing my cat, my tabby cat, snoozing on a patch of sunlight on my bed with the sun streaming through my window. And it was a beautiful, clear winter's day that you never get in Michigan, especially southeastern Michigan. It's always cloudy. And Colorado usually had bright, clear days, and I had missed that a lot. Those kind of days used to make me feel really good, seeing the bright, clear sun, and it didn't make me feel good that day. Seeing my cat snoozing, all I could think of, what a poor cat, she has to put up with me for a human. And then the morning of January 16th, 1991 came. By that evening, I learned that the Allied forces had begun an aerial assault on Iraq. And I found myself thinking as I was watching the news Actually, I cried my way through the news. I didn't really watch it. I thought perhaps it might not be a good idea to bring a child into the world after all. And suicide crossed my mind. And actually, it did more than just cross my mind. It tap danced all around the inside of my head. It beat war drums along with Bush Sr. And I cried myself to sleep that night as I thought of different means I could use. I knew the cat would be better off without me and no one else would probably much notice. When I awoke the next morning, I realized I had a serious problem, and I scheduled an emergency session with my therapist, who, after I accused her of only caring because she was getting paid to care about me, announced that I was beyond her help and vehemently suggested hospitalization. A day or two later, I found a place about 10 miles from my home and the staff there decided it was best to do what they call a partial hospitalization. That means I would go there in the daytime and then I would get to come home at night and sleep in my own bed with my cat, which was probably a good thing. I would go there about 8.30 or 9 every morning and I would stay until about 4 in the afternoon. And I was a little upset because I had been an evening person, night person, and now I had to be a morning person. So add that to the stress. And after they did their initial assessment, they decided because of the baby, I couldn't get any medication. So we had to do everything talking. And being that I was jobless and no prospects for a job until probably after the baby was born, Medicaid covered the hospital services. And I found myself being, that was a really awkward situation because I had no income. And because I was pregnant, I qualified for Medicaid, but because even though I was jobless and had no income, I had no dependent children, I couldn't qualify for emergency food stamps. So the hospital was actually a good thing. I got lunch every day, 
And I'm really, when I look back, I'm not sure how I managed to get myself to the hospital every day, five days a week for at least the first week. I really had no idea how I got up. I got up on time and I went. That first week was kind of, it was a little intimidating. It was a little scary, but I found myself surrounded by other people who were, geez, depressed, just like me. Although some of us had been there a little longer and had worked on themselves a little bit more, some were on medication. So as a newbie, it was a little intimidating. Several people had actually decided to adopt me. And I don't know if it was because I was pregnant or, I I honestly, I don't know. Um, They kind of bonded with me and we would go to our group therapy sessions in the morning and we'd go to individual therapy and then group therapy in the afternoon and we'd eat lunch together. And for some reason, the cafeteria was mostly white, had a big white floor and white tables, red trays and red chairs. I don't know why I remember that, but that seemed to be important at the time. We would eat lunch together, and that was another hour of therapy. We'd all talk. <laughs> Even without the therapist there, we, we still had therapy. As I looked around, I was kind of amazed also at the number of different symptoms different people had. I, when I got there, didn't eat much other than M&M's. Not a healthy diet for when you're pregnant. I was lucky I had more than pajamas on when I left the house. And there were some people who were there with dressed to the nines. They looked great. Their hair was done. They had makeup. I was like, how could they do that? They're depressed. I was depressed. And they got dressed up. And then there was one guy um, who was the exact opposite of me. All I wanted to do was sleep. And he couldn't get to sleep. It was interesting to see the broad mix of symptoms. Some people ate too much. Some people didn't eat enough. Some people slept all the time. Some people didn't sleep at all. Some people were more angry and agitated, where others were just kind of flat, no affect, no nothing. I found another thing that was rather amazing is that even without medication, talking with other people who had similar experiences, whose brains were doing similar things that mine were, was really a good thing. I found out I was not the only person in the whole world who felt like that. Other people felt like that. And we shared, especially during our lunch therapy, we would share different techniques that we had learned, how to cope, how to get by. Some people journaled, some people used a rubber band around their wrist to stop negative thoughts. And just talking and sharing the common experience, I think, was probably the most beneficial. After about a month of going every single day, and we were there probably six or seven hours a day. Um, And then, of course, I had probably a 40-minute commute because it was all the way out on the east side and uh, came graduation day finally. And the graduation ceremony was rather interesting. Everybody who was in the program would gather in a room and they had a big, huge circle of chairs. Whether you were graduating or not, you were part of the ceremony. They did the ceremony, I think, once a week. And finally, after four weeks, it was my turn. 
and I had finally started feeling better, and it was nice. They handed us a basket, those who were graduating, and we were allowed to pick a marble, any marble we wanted out of the basket. And then once everybody had their chosen marble, you know, those graduating, we all sat down, and then we were instructed to hand the marble to the person to our left. And the person to our left would sit there and look at us and tell us, when I first saw you, this is how I saw you. And then they would say, now, today, this is how I see you. And then the next thing they would add, as they were holding the marble, imbuing it with energy and their hopes and their dreams, they would tell us, this is what I hope for you for the future. And then they would pass it to the next person. And the process repeated for each person in the room. The marble went all the way around until it got back to the graduate. And we were able to keep them. Once everybody had gone through their marble ceremony, they told us that we had to keep the marbles because now no one could ever say that we had completely lost all our marbles again. And I still have my marble. It's been over 20 years. It's a light green and it has a little pale swirl of blue and a little pale swirl of orange in it. But I still have it. I keep it with my rock collection. And since then, I've actually managed to go through a couple of other depressions. The last time they treated me with a medication and it worked. And I still am going to go probably through more. Apparently, as I'm learning, the more research I do, people who go through depression often will go through them again. And I know for myself, my very first depression, I was a teenager and it was before anybody knew to do anything. I remember feeling so depressed that I thought I wanted to die and I didn't have any means. I wanted to, I tried to choke myself and I found that that does not work because you pass out and then you wake up again. And I'm not sure how I managed to survive that one, but I did survive that one all on my own. But when it came time to when I was pregnant and considering suicide while carrying another life, that was actually kind of a big wake-up call. And I'm really glad that I was able to get the help that I needed. My daughter's now 24. She's beautiful. She's bright. Still gets on my nerves sometimes, but that's what daughters do. I think that's about it. And I would just wish that people who are listening would know to recognize symptoms and get help when you need it. I think that's important. It's also important to recognize that other people go through this and you're going to find a great source of strength and support when you talk with other people. And when you open up, it makes a huge difference. Great. Thank you. Such a wonderful story. You know, you were talking about when you were in the hospital at the like partial hospitalization, you, it was like therapy. And I like that idea that it sounds like the thing that you remember most about the experience was the bonding with people who were there who were also depressed. And I'm sure the therapy that you got there was very helpful, but it sounded like your lunchtime therapy was crucial to you feeling better. I think it was. And I also, I think I also started eating more too. (laughs) And it's amazing how nutrition can help the brain. Yeah, that's for sure. And I like the idea too of like how people have such different relationships with depression. I know people who, when they're depressed, they eat. You know, for me, I, I, 
I, I have, if I have a low grade, what I call low grade depression, I do eat more. Mm-hmm. And when things are really bad, um, I just don't want to eat at all. So it's kind of like different degrees for me. But I think for some people, their depression always looks like overeating. And for some people, it always looks like hunger. Right. You know, I think you're right. Um, I know for myself, when I'm depressed, I tend to not eat or eat so minimally. I'm like, it's, and I'm not sure where that comes from. You know, I'm sure there's probably some childhood experience back in there somewhere that made me feel that I should be hungry instead of eating. But I think it's also a form of self-punishment sometimes. I mean, there's obviously the control issue there too, but it's a form of self-punishment. Yeah, and for me, eating a little more, a little too much, is it's just comfort. It's very mm-hmm. comforting to cook something and eat it and, you know, but when things are really, when I really feel low, I don't want to do dishes. I don't want to cook. I don't mm-hmm. want to eat. Nothing sounds good. I can look through my fridge like five times and like, there's <laughs> nothing in there I want. <laughs> I'm laughing because I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's don't want to eat when I'm that depressed. It, it's, you're right. Nothing sounds good. Nothing. I mean, M&Ms seemed to be about the only thing that sounded good at that point in time. Really, it's it's just not healthy. And I feel like I always feel like I when I'm in that state, I'm looking in the fridge for something that can't possibly be in there. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm not sure what we're looking for, but it's not necessarily food, but it is comfort. You know, maybe that's what we're looking for is, is the comfort. And the best way to get that, I found, although I don't always practice it, it's sometimes I need a swift kick in the seat of the pants to remind myself, go talk to people. And that's where I find the comfort. Yeah, I've been actually, this, this week I had this realization that I actually feel ashamed of being depressed. And I feel ashamed that I'm still depressed. It's a funny thing. And, and so I think sometimes I'm not sure with depression, but I feel like sometimes it's hard to reach out just because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want people to know it feels, I feel stupid that I'm still depressed. It's like, really, (laughs) you know, really, you can't just get yourself out of this somehow. You can't always just get yourself out of it. It's not necessarily a, it's not something you necessarily have complete control over. I know for myself that when I do maintenance, if I'm eating well, if I'm exercising, if I'm journaling, if I'm doing all these self-care things that I should be doing all along, I'm less likely to get depressed but it does seem that there's a certain character flaw, for lack of a better term, and I'm sure that's probably not the best term, that certain things will knock me down. I was doing really, really well for a long time. I was walking every morning, doing 20 minutes of yoga, walking four miles, eating really healthy, and things really didn't bother me that much. Then I had a cat who was diabetic, I woke up one morning and he was having seizures on the floor. Took him to the vet four in the morning and they couldn't do anything, but they stabilized him. They said, okay, now let's take him over to your regular vet 
took him to the regular vet, and they said, we'll do everything we can. You should probably be able to pick him up this evening. And by the end of the day, I had paid $600 and had a dead cat. All of that self-care that I had been doing for all those months went out the window, and I couldn't bring myself to get up and go walking. And I tended to, you know, you get back into that, I don't feel like eating. And I think that kind of makes you spiral down again. And it takes a while to kind of recover from that. And I still haven't quite found the answer to that yet. So I just keep cycling through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really relate to that where, you know, it's kind of like, I know the right things to do. I know what I need to do to feel better. I know things that help me. But this past couple of years, I keep kind of making half-hearted attempts like, okay, I'm going to eat, you know, really healthy. I did a, I did a juice cleanse and I actually felt really fantastic while I was juicing. It just, I really did feel wonderful. I did it for seven days. I was going to do it for 10 and my juicer broke on the seventh day. And I thought, okay, this, (laughs) like, this is a sign that I'm done with the juicing. Like, okay, the, the, the machine broke. And then but ultimately, I just was back where I was before. And then I thought, well, I'm going to cut down on some of the starches because I know that although they release serotonins in your brain in general, they kind of can make you feel a little down, a little depressed. It was summer. It was hot. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, stop eating starch and eat mostly vegetables and proteins, and that'll be healthy. And I did that. And I, I felt better. But it didn't, it didn't fix it. It's that thing. It's the, it's the same feeling I have when I look in the fridge over and over again, and I just can't find what it is that's going to make me feel better. And I, I think it's just almost like you get stuck in a little loop and your, your, your body gets off and your brain chemistry gets off. Mm-hmm. And the things you know that make you feel better don't even sound good. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I get that completely. It's, it's, and I don't quite know what it is. And it's like, I know this, I read about it. I read about the brain and the body and how to take care of it. This is like, I know this stuff and I can't seem to keep making myself do this. At least not for very long. I mean, the longest I ever went doing really, really super well was probably about two years. After about two years, I don't even know what it was. I just kind of felt myself slipping back again. So I, I'm at a loss. Other than, you know, perhaps high stress in childhood or something like that, that probably changed the shape of my brain or the chemistry. They, I've heard stories that if you can maintain yourself and even taking certain antidepressants, and I don't remember, I think it's a serotonin reuptake inhibitor or something or others. If you can get that going for two years with your first depression, you're less likely to have a second or a third, but the key again is early intervention, but I don't know. I've not experienced it. I just know that I cycle through it periodically. You know, stress, definitely seems to have a huge impact on that. So I've worked towards over the years surrounding myself with more positive people just because the people who are really awful, mean, nasty people 
they cause me stress. Stress causes me depression. So I have to not be around those kind of people. I have to be around people who are going to be more positive. And I think overall my life is considerably better over the course of the last 24, almost five years. But I still, I have those times where it's like, you know, maybe I am just permanently broken. Yeah, and I think that feeling of sort of like shame, you know, why do I, why do I end up here? <laughs> yeah. You know, why, why am I back here? Why, and why can't I get out of it? You know, my feeling right now, and especially with this show where I'm trying to kind of remedy my depression and also share all these stories with the public, just like that somebody else could hear a story and feel like, yeah, oh, I relate to that. And somehow, you know, your, your story of the lunchroom, you know, and your lunchtime therapy, like just hearing the story that like, I'm not alone. It's not just me. Many people of all walks of life and all different interests and backgrounds can be depressed, makes yeah. it makes it lighter a little bit. It doesn't make it go away, but it makes it feel like, I think this is kind of okay that I'm in this place. I'm in this mental space and that there is hope. Yeah, there, there is hope. And sometimes you have to cling to that little thread with everything you've got. On that note, I think we'll we'll end our chat here. And it's been so wonderful having you on the show. And I thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I think it'll be inspirational to people. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I think it's an awesome project, what you're doing. And thank I think you. you need to keep it up. Thank you. Again, I want to mention that if you found some of the content of today's show triggering, please seek professional help. And worst case scenario, call 911 if you're feeling like you might hurt yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.